So today at Grace Anglican Church, this is our Refugee Sunday is what we're calling it. And today we remember that right now, there are thousands upon thousands of people that are walking, refugees that are walking across Europe, trying to get to a new home, to a better place. And our reading reminds us that 2,000 years ago, the Christ child was a refugee. He was carried by his mother and father out of his home down to Egypt, fleeing a dictator. So in this sermon today, we're going to be looking at two main things. First off is we're going to be looking at the story from the gospel and seeing what does Christ the refugee teach us about this world that we live in and what Christ came to do. Then the second thing we're going to look at is what do we do about this whole refugee situation? But I want to start with the gospel before we move to action. So to begin, what does Jesus the refugee teach us in this gospel text? The first thing is this, that we see that Jesus was born into a dark world. In our church calendar, this Sunday is the last Sunday of Easter, or Christmas. <laughs> the last Sunday of Christmas. Um, and with all these Christmas images, we get the manger, and we get angels, and we get shepherds. And it's easy to think Jesus must have had a pretty good childhood. But here, right in the middle of his childhood, about the age of two, we see that one of probably the most sad and tragic and dark stories in the whole of the scriptures. And this darkness was personified in the person of King Herod. Now, to give you a little bit of an idea about Herod, he was a brutal dictator, similar to some of the dictators that we have in our world today. He killed three of his sons and one of his sons-in-law in order to kind of reign over his— he killed one of his sons like five days before he died. He knew he was dying and still killed him anyways. Augustus Caesar said this of Herod with a tinge of humor. He says, it's better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son, and which I think is probably very fitting. And so when Herod heard that the Magi had visited the king of Israel— what he did, which was brutal, it was dark, was he sent his troops to Bethlehem and call, killed all of the, the males two years and younger. It's a story that we oftentimes don't think about in Christmas time, but what we learn is that Jesus fled and a miraculous, an angel showed up, talked to Joseph and said, hey, you need to take the Christ child out of here. And so he flees and he becomes a refugee. He travels the refugee road down to Egypt. So we see that Jesus was born into a dark world. And we see this darkness in our world. We see it with people having to flee, thousands upon thousands of people fleeing. We see it on the news every single day. We see it in our own lives. The people in our lives that have power don't use it wisely, but they oftentimes use it against us. They use it to hurt us. And with faced with such darkness, oftentimes we find ourselves asking God, can you do anything about this? God, can you help? And here's the thing, to give you a little bit of my personal history, if you knew anything about me as a teenager or in my early 20s, I was definitely one of those guys who was like, let's go change the world. And I'll, I'll admit, still some of that's in me. But, but my default mode is when I hear about a problem, my thought is, okay, Let's go look for solutions. Let's try to change the circumstances. Let's go try to change what's happening. And 
maybe if we can change what's happening, then things will get better. But here's the thing that this story and the gospel tells us. His circumstances do help change things. But God, in order to deal with the evil, the darkness that Jesus stepped into, he had to go deeper. He had to take it to a deeper place. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, I want to share a little story to illustrate. I'm listening to, my wife and I are listening to a podcast called Serial. Um, and this is season two of this podcast. It's, it's a great, great podcast. Really interesting. This, this season, they're focusing on the, the investigation of Bo Bergdahl. So you guys probably recognize that name and maybe even know his story. Bo Bergdahl was the guy who abandoned his post in Afghanistan and walked out into the wilderness. And he was captured by Taliban. And for five years, he was held captive by a Taliban. Totally alone. There was nobody else but him. And he recounts this experience of being in a prison cell that was total blackness. There was no light. They got into it. And I'm going to read this quote to you. He said, They had me in a dark room where there was no light. How do I explain that standing in an empty dark room hurts? It's more than your body hurting. It's like this mental hurt. You're confused. And there are times when I would wake up and it would be so dark that I would wake up not remembering what I was. I was like, what am I? He says, I couldn't see my hands. I could touch my face, but it wouldn't register. And just on the other side of the door, there was the whole world outside. He describes this darkness that's so disorienting that not only does he forget who he is, but what he is. And then he vividly describes the helplessness of knowing that there is a door to freedom, but he's powerless to, to leave. He's powerless to get out. And here's the thing about the darkness of the world that God understood that we don't. That I didn't understand and I still don't understand. Is that dealing with the darkness of the world by trying to change external events is like squinting in the darkness. The Bible describes sin as a darkness that distorts our humanity. It makes us forget not only who we are, but what we are. And oftentimes we think, if I can just change some circumstances in my life, then I can get a handle on my sin. But that's just like squinting in the darkness. You need for the door to be open. You need light in order to remember who you are. And so the door must be kicked down and the light must break in. And that's what Jesus came to do. He goes deeper and attacks the darkness at its core. But how? How in this story do we see him attack this darkness? The quotation in verse 15 tells us what Jesus came to do. It says this, Out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now the first maybe 10 times I read that, I was like, I don't get it. I don't understand. So I was doing some research on it, looking at different commentators. And what commentators say is that this verse talks about Jesus inaugurating a new exodus. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you guys remember in the exodus story, Israel had been set free from the slavery of Pharaoh. You guys remember that? 
Well, when it says that Jesus, even as a child, out of Egypt I called my son, there's a new exodus happening. But Jesus didn't come just to overthrow earthly slavery. He came to overthrow the root of all slavery and all evil. He came not to overthrow just the throne of earthly evil rulers. He came to overthrow the throne of evil itself, the human heart. Jesus went deeper here. So how did he do it? We want him to change circumstances. And when he comes back, he will bring justice to the earth. But in his first coming, he came for our hearts. He came to change our hearts. So how does he do it? Because Jesus was the son of God. He was the king of the universe the day he was born. He could have had any crown. He could have had Herod's crown. Even as a child, he could have had Caesar's crown. He could have marched into Jerusalem and had Pilate's crown. But he chose for his coronation day to wear a different crown. A, A crown of thorns. Why a crown of thorns? I've always wondered that. And yesterday, I just happened to be reading in my quiet time, Genesis 3. And it dawned on me, thorns didn't exist before the fall. Thorns didn't infest the ground before Adam and Eve fell. It was sin that brought thorns. So therefore, The crown of thorns represents the curse of sin. What we see is that when Jesus donned the crown of thorns on his head, it showed us that he was taking on the curse of sin itself. He was dealing with the deepest and darkest places of our hearts. He was taking on our sin. Because Jesus was born into a dark world, our dark world, in order to take our darkness on himself and give us his light. Jesus became a refugee in order to lead a new exodus of people, his church, out of darkness, into the light, into a future hope. And so today, where are you at? Are you like Bergdahl, trying to squint in the dark in order to find the light? Trying to change external circumstances? Trying to manage your sin Or just hoping if I can just get this right job. Or if I can just get this right material. If I can just get this right. If I can just fix this thing in my family. Then maybe some light will pour in. And I have good news for you. Jesus has come. The light has taken on our darkness. So turn to him. Trust him with whatever it is that you came in here burdened by. Whatever dark part of your life that you feel shame about. Bring it to him. And ask him to take it on himself. And then give you his light. That's what he came to do. So that's what the gospel story tells us. About what Jesus came to do. Why he became a refugee for us. So that he could lead us out of darkness into light. But how does Jesus the refugee. Cast light on the current refugee situation. So I'm going to spend the last part of this sermon. Unpacking a little bit of what's going on in the world. And my hope is. By the end of this sermon, you'll see this. That when you see refugees on the news, or in the newspaper, you won't see what political commentators would have to say about them. You wouldn't see the way a politician would talk about them. 
you would see what Jesus sees. You would see people in darkness seeking the light, just like Jesus saw us, a people in darkness seeking after the light. Because this is what the church exists to do and to be, to show and to tell the light to all nations, regardless of race, regardless of religion. We are to be light bearers. We are to tell the good news that we've been told. And so today we have an incredible opportunity because here's the thing. There are hundreds of thousands of people who have been in closed countries that have not had access to the gospel that are getting it for the first time today. And so the church has this amazing opportunity to be hospitable, to be a good Samaritan, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus. The challenge is, oftentimes, it's hard for us to actually put a face and a story with these big news stories. We watch something on TV, but it doesn't really connect to us personally. And so I want to show you a video. This is a video made by one of the men that we met when we were over there. He's the American guy in the video. And it's, he's going to be interviewing a couple refugees, and, and you'll be able to hear a little bit of their story. Balkans is, is a strategic corridor because without the Balkans, these refugees and migrants wouldn't have a way into Europe. It's not every day that the Muslim world comes to our doorstep to give the church opportunity to, to show them the love of Christ. And this is, this is our moment to shine. This is the moment for the church in the Balkans to shine. But many people pray about Muslim country and they say, Lord, give to our, a chance to us to preach to them. Now we have a chance. So this is uh, our mission, to bring to them aids uh, and also gospel. This is not a, a typical kind of crisis. They're moving, they're moving, and they're not slowing down. They're intent to getting to where they, they need to go. What's important for us to understand is that we need to reach them on their journey as they're moving, as they're on their trek to wherever they're going in Europe even though it's momentary, even though it's for just a few minutes, to begin asking them questions. Where are you from? Tell us your story. What's happening? Why did, why did you leave? Bump, 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 every day. 15, 20, 25. Another uh, day, 100 bumps. A hundred bump in Damascus. Did it? Be behind my house, ten meters behind my house. In Damascus, live now I, I think four million, but people or five million people in Damascus. And you, where, where are you going to? What country? Uh, are you I don't know. Anywhere, anywhere, anywhere in a place. Yeah. That's, anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, just leave. Yeah. yeah. There are many people praying for all of you. Okay. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. And if it's okay, let me ask you. If I ask your permission. May I pray for you right now in the name of Jesus? In the name of Jesus. Can I pray for you in the name of Jesus? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, he's okay. All right, all right. I'm, we pray for you guys right now. All right. 
We need to, to meet them where they are. We need to, of course, bring aid because we're entering into the winter time. They need winter clothing, they need blankets, they need those sorts of things. And so intercessors engaged in bringing that kind of aid, but also our mandate of the church is the Great Commission. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that should give you a little bit of an understanding of what they're going through and why they're leaving, why they're fleeing. I also want to share a little bit of what we can do about it. I have some slides for us that will give us some pictures as well as tell you a little bit of the big picture story of what's going on in over there on the refugee road and then around the Middle East. All right. So if you haven't been paying attention to the news, I'm going to give you the, the cliff notes of what's been happening. So why are refugees fleeing? First off, there's an ongoing four-year bloody civil war. I'm actually going to go to this side because the majority of people... There is an ongoing four-year bloody civil war in Syria, which involves fighting between the president, Bashar Assad, who's a little bit more of a dictator, and then ISIS, which we all know who ISIS is, as well as two primary rebel groups. Now, over 320,000 people have been killed in the conflict, including 12,000 children. In Syria, much of the healthcare system, education system, and economy has been totally destroyed. So these people aren't leaving good jobs. They're leaving... They don't even have houses left. That's why when we talked to numerous people, we said, why did you leave? And they said, because my house exploded. It was, it was pretty incredible. So how many refugees are there and where? Due to the war, roughly 7.6 million people have been displaced within Syria. So these are people that have lost their homes, livelihoods, but they're still trapped in the country. Then there's 4.3 million people who've left Syria as refugees. I just found this statistic out yesterday, but half of those are children. And my wife and I can attest to that. It was incredible. There was so many children. There was nursing mothers. There was women who were pregnant on the road. It was, it was just, I can't imagine what it would be like for them. 3.6 million refugees are in the surrounding countries in the Middle East. So countries like Lebanon, Turkey, Iraq, Jordan, and Egypt. But also 700,000 refugees are on the road to resettlement in Europe, which is where we were working, along the refugee road. You can go on to the next one. And just to give you an understanding of, of the hugeness of this problem, this is the largest recorded number of refu refugees in human history. Larger than World War II. We don't have any recorded history that's bigger than this amount of refugees. Keep going. So how can God's church respond? Well, there's, there's two main things we can do. One that's short-term, one that's long-term. We can be the hands and feet of Christ, and then we can also be the voice of Christ. So you can move on to the next one. So where are we working? We're partnering with, many of you guys know Brent McHugh. We're partnering with his organization, and he's had lots of experience working with refugees. And we're working with his organization, Christar, and seeking to bring aid and good news to people along the refugee road in Macedonia and Croatia. So if you can see in the picture this red road, and people are coming across Turkey, and then making the crossing across the, the sea into Greece, then up 
into Macedonia, which is where we were. And as you can tell, that's, that's one of the main highways for them to go through. And then you see these two roads right here, and Hungary's actually been closed down, so that's no longer available. So the other ones are, are moving through Croatia and then moving into Western Europe, mainly Germany and Austria is where they're heading. So you can move on to the next one. In November, Carrie and I visited the work of the Evangelical Church in Macedonia. They're working with refugees along both of the borders. And this is one of the camps that we got to go and visit. The Macedonian church, which is a little church, much smaller than the Anglican church in America. I mean, think about it. 25 years ago, no church existed in Macedonia. They're feeding over 3,000 people per day. They're seeing upwards of 12,000 people coming through Macedonian border every single day. And the UN is saying, can you provide more food for us? And they're saying, we're, we're trying as hard as we can to provide just 3,000. And so they're stretched. Go on to the next one. We also visited a Croatian Anglican bishop um, who, work, who weekly provides foods, blankets, and drinks to refugees in the Croatian border. And their funding is small, but they're doing as much as they can. And this is Brent talking to some guys at the Croatian border. So that's some of the short term. Go ahead to the next one. So what can we do? Our church is partnering with, with them to first off provide basic needs like food, water, winterization kits, as well as clothing because it's winter time to those in the refugee road. And the cool thing is a lot of time the interaction is maybe 30 seconds, upwards of two or three minutes that you're interacting with the refugees, but they're still seeing people come to Christ every single day in these refugee camps. Go on to the next one. We're also, and this is more the long-term work that we're doing, we're also working with local German churches to help refugees with the resettlement process. So Christar, what, what they, they have lots of training to train churches and how do we help these people as they're resettling? Because the reality is the resettlement process is very complex. But, but Brent and his team has worked with re- refugees for a long time. So they're training local churches to help help graft them into the culture as well as help them with paperwork and finding employment. The other thing they're doing is they're equipping the German church and how to share the gospel with people from Middle Eastern backgrounds. I mean, can you imagine what it's like for the German church right now? Could you imagine what it would be like if 50,000 Syrians moved to Fleming Island? We would want to help, but we wouldn't know how. And so what Christar is seeking to do is raise funds, raise leaders to train up these people to be able to share the gospel with the goal of hope, hoping to do what Brent did in, Iran, in Turkey, which is plant churches amongst these refugee people. So the, the, the last question is this, how can you help? First off is learn. I would encourage you to read as much as you can. There's a great website run by Christians called We Welcome Refugees. That could give you a little less political view, just a more of like, okay, this is what, what Christians are doing. It's called wewelcomerefugees.com. You can write it down. Secondly, pray. As you heard that Syrian man earlier say, I hope people are praying for us. That's probably the most important thing we can be doing as the American church is continuing to pray for the refugees. The next is we can give. So just to give you an understanding of what we're going to be doing in a sec, during the, the communion or the passing of the plate, during the offering time, if you would like to give to this work amongst the refugees, you can do one of three things. You can write Christar, which is Brent's organization in the memo line, or you can write Grace Anglican Church. And no, you can write Christar on the writing, who you're writing the check to, 
or you can write Grace Anglican Church and then put Christar or Refugee in the memo line. Or if you want to give a cash donation in the back of the pews, there's these little collection envelopes. You can put that in there and then mark it as refugees. So give and then finally go. If you're interested in going on a short-term trip to work with refugees in Germany, let me or let my wife know. And especially we're looking for medical professionals. That's what Brent is, is trying to get us to round up first. But we're also looking for anybody who's, who's interested in helping. And so I want to end with a story. Most of the refugees are trying to get to Germany. We talked to this one guy and Brent, Brent was talking to him because Brent can speak the language. And he was saying, so where are you heading? He said, I'm going to Germany. And he said, what's your plan when you get to Germany? And he said, I don't know. I'm just trying to get to Germany. And then Brent said, can we pray for you? And he said, yes, you can. He said, what can we pray? That I'll be able to get to Germany. <laughs> and, and it's true. There's some great opportunities in Germany for the refugees. But the reports that we're getting from churches and from nonprofit organizations is that oftentimes the refugees get to Germany and then they're crestfallen. They're crammed into to small apartments or houses. They're not able to get job opportunities. There's lots of red tape, and there should be red tape, but there's lots of red tape for the resettlement process. And here's the thing. They don't know something that we do know. That our hope isn't in a place, it's not in a change of circumstance. Our hope is in a person, the person of Jesus Christ, who came, became a refugee for us, took on our darkness, and walked us into the light. And so my prayer is that you would continue to lift these people up in your prayers. And if God's calling you to maybe do something in order to be able to share with these people who are in darkness and need the light of Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good you are that you didn't just came, come to change circumstances, you came to change hearts. And you sent your son to live as one of us and to die as one of us so that we could receive sonship and daughtership. And Lord, we pray that we as the church would steward this opportunity that we have to share the good news with those who need it. Or we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen.